as I mentioned today, we are looking at the all-neglected person of God. We'll talk a little bit of the theological background that comes into the idea of the persons of God. And one of the interesting aspects of Scripture is that from the very beginning, there was a we-ness of God. There was a plurality of God. And in fact, in the creation story in Genesis 1.26, we're told that God, and the word God there is a plural noun. So when it's speaking of God, as we see in our Bible, that is a plural word. So the verse says, then God said, let us, once again, a plural word, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so from the very beginning, there is this we-ness of God. But we must also partner that with the very beginning of the law, which shows the oneness of God. And so in a very important part of the law out of Deuteronomy, we find Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord the God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So we have this idea of God as absolutely one. And we also have this idea that there is some sort of we aspect of God. And then with early Christian thinkers, there was this addition of Jesus Christ, this one who we understand to be completely God and to be completely human. So how do we understand Jesus in the oneness of God, but also in the we-ness of God? And so there was this man named Tertullian. In about 200 A.D., he came up with a word that we use a lot today. The word is Trinity. When he looked at this aspect of who God is and who we see God declared from the Scripture, he looked out at the language and said, I, I don't find any word in the language that fits for who our God is. So he says, I'm going to call our God a Trinity. And there we began to understand that there is Three persons of God. We have one God and three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, when we come and ask ourselves, what's the function of each one of these persons? So when we come to God the Father, we have the creator of heaven and earth. And we, so we hear God the Father, and we're like, yes, I know who that is creator of all things, who puts the world out with just his word. And then we have God the Son. And so let me look at the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, and we know who God the Son is. Jesus, this one who brings salvation to all people. Jesus, this one who comes and defeats our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. Jesus, this one who comes and puts us into perfect relationship with God. And then we come to God the Spirit. And most people in the church come to God the Spirit, and they're like, um, hmm, it's a good one. I don't know, you know, the one who's there, the one who's there, the way, you know. And so we don't have this clear idea of what God the Spirit is doing. I was thinking of this idea 
of our understanding of God and these persons and this clear idea that we have for two and then this often kind of fuzzy idea that we have for the last one. And I was thinking of ourselves, we got like a three-man basketball team. All right, and on our three-man basketball team, player number one, LeBron James in his prime. If you don't know basketball, LeBron James is good. Right? LeBron James, man, that's our, that's our guy. You know, woo, man, we're good. All right. And then, of course, player number two, because we are so close to the Boston Celtics, who in their prime is going to be player number two? Of course, Larry Bird, right? The great Boston Celtic. Larry Bird in his prime. That's player number two. Who's number three on our three-man basketball team? So often, functionally in the church, our number three player is kind of like one of those preschoolers that's got one of those two-foot plastic goals where the kid's like, woo, I did it. Of course, wherever we look, we're going to find the Holy Spirit by no means is a preschooler on our basketball team. And in fact, I'm going to give you another analogy at the end as we think of who the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to find the Holy Spirit to be an absolutely valuable member of the Trinity, an equal member of our understanding of who God is. We're going to look first at three things that the Holy Spirit does for us. And the first is, we are going to see the Holy Spirit as a cleanser. And so I'm going to be reading our first passage for us today, which is going to come out of Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let me read that for us now. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what we have here is we have an account of John the Baptist, who is the precursor to Jesus Christ. And John is baptizing people with water as a sign of their repentance from sin. They are leaving their path of sin and following God. And they have this symbolic act of being baptized, of being cleaned by the water. And this symbolic act of this new life that they will live. But as John is doing this, and people are coming, hey, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? John says, nah, man, that's not me. The one who is coming after me will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's read this passage together, Luke 3, 16. I baptize you with water. But the one who is more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John promises this one who will come, this one we know to be Jesus, that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit is this idea of this new life that we have in God, while fire is the idea of judgment. And everyone will be baptized Jesus, whether you like it or not. It's just a matter of which baptism are you going to get. 
You get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which brings new life. Or do you have the baptism of fire, which brings judgment and separation from God? And in fact, if you're wondering, hey, are you like over speaking there? Are you seeing too much? If we look at this illustration that finishes up this passage, this idea of the threshing floor and the wheat is being sorted from the chaff. It speaks to exactly that idea of separating people out into new life and into judgment. When we think, what's the difference then? What's the difference between John's baptism, which is a symbolic baptism of water, and Jesus' baptism, which is this powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit? And the thing is this, and this is what John said as well, is that John's baptism lacks the ability to change a person's substance. John's baptism doesn't change who they are. They're the same person. They've made a choice, and they're going to try and live differently, and they're going to try and prove their actions, and they're going to try to live out that life of repentance, but it hasn't changed the substance, the very soul of who they are. But John says, there's one who's coming, this Jesus. He will baptize you by the Holy Spirit, and he will change the very nature of your soul. We see that Jesus, alongside the work of the Holy Spirit, changes the very being of a person. They change into a new self. And so you say, what, what does that look like? You know what? And it's different for each person. But perhaps you've met someone who's met Jesus later in life. Perhaps you've seen the before and the after. And you've seen the before and they were just one way. And then all of a sudden they're like, I met Jesus. And you see it and you're like, man, there's just something entirely different about you. There's something about you that wasn't there before. Somehow, who they are has changed. It's not them just doing the right thing and going through the right actions. It's their very innermost being. They've changed who they are. As we think of this idea of symbolism and actual change, I want you to think a moment of a wedding. So I've got my, my wedding ring on here. And my ring, in and of itself, doesn't make me married, does it? It's a symbol of the marriage that I have. But I could have worn this wedding ring before I was married, right? There was no one who was going to stop that from happening. And the, the reality is, is that as a married person, you don't have to wear a wedding ring. Sometimes you'll see people who work in particular fields where they need to make sure their hands don't have rings on. They won't wear wedding rings. The wedding ring doesn't make you married. It's just a symbol of the marriage. What makes you married, what makes you married in, in our society is you, you have these forms that you fill out and you file them at, at the courthouse. And they go through and they say, you are legally married. And you go through these steps and that's what makes you married. You are changed in your marital status from single to married. The ring doesn't change me. That marriage certificate with the right signatures and the right filing and the right stamps on is what changes my marital status. As we think of Jesus working with the Holy Spirit, 
the very nature of who we are is changed. And we see that Jesus working with the Holy Spirit is the very cleanser of our souls. What once was a soul that was filled with darkness and shame, the soul that is filled with light and the glory of God. Only Jesus working alongside the Holy Spirit is able to make that happen. The next thing that we are going to look at is that the Holy Spirit is a sealer. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means. We're going to move ahead in our, story, in our New Testament story, and we're going to pick up an account from the early church. And so this is in the early days as the church leaders are beginning to establish what the Christian faith will look like once that Jesus has come, and we've seen Jesus has gone through his life, and he's been, re- or he's been crucified, he's resurrected, he's ascended, and he is physically off the, the earth. And now these disciples are becoming the church leaders and establishing the church as we know it now. And one of the things that happens at the very beginning of the church is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this actually beginning in, uh, earlier in the book of Acts at Pentecost as the Spirit comes upon these people who are professing their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're able to perform these acts that seem unreasonable. And they're able to speak languages that seem like they shouldn't know. And we see these very visible signs, these visible changes that come through the Holy Spirit, representing their new life that they have in Jesus Christ. But one of the things that will be helpful for us in understanding our passage is as this gift of the Spirit, which is how it's described, this gift of the Spirit comes upon them, they need the help of these early church leaders to help explain that to them. And I was thinking, like, kind of what, what's, what might be something that we can kind of understand this idea if you've got this gift, but you don't know how to use it, but sooner or later you will know how to use it. I was thinking of this. So I want you to think back to your 1995 self. Now, we got some people here who, you know, are, are post-1995, so they're, they're not with, you know, imagine with us. But for everyone else, think back to you in 1995. And someone comes and hands you an iPhone. You would be like, oh, what? I, you know, you have kind of know a little bit about email. Perhaps you've heard about, you know, this thing called the Internet. And someone hands you this iPhone, you'd be like, I, I don't know. I'm going to need a little help with that. I'm going to need a little instruction. And, of course, now as I'm speaking to you, you know, if someone were to hand you an iPhone, even if you use an Android device or maybe something not quite like that, you've got an idea of what's going on, right? Before too long, you're up. You're like, I know, I know, because now you're experienced with it. But when the Holy Spirit first came, it's kind of like 1995 and the iPhone. It's going to need a little help. And so what we have is these um, uh, disciples are coming in, and they are going to Help them understand who the Spirit is. And I'm going to be reading for us from Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So we have in this passage that there's new believers in Samaria, which were once greatly disliked by the disciples. But now the spirit is coming upon this. The believers are there. And so these people come, these disciples come so that they might be able to share the Holy Spirit with them. And these people in Samaria have been baptized in the name of Jesus. So they accepted and they have followed Jesus Christ, but they lack the completion of their faith. The Holy Spirit has not yet come upon them. And then we find Peter and John who place their hands upon them. And at that point, the Holy Spirit comes upon these new believers. One of the things I want us to see out of this passage is that the arrival of the Holy Spirit completes their salvation. And the ordering of it and the arrival of the Spirit in this case would seem to be a situation that's specific to them. But the function of the Holy Spirit as the completion of salvation has not changed. We find the Holy Spirit to be the sealer of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. So the salvation that we have, I told you, has come and cleansed us and has brought light into darkness. And in this newly cleansed being that we have, the Holy Spirit comes and wraps this sealer around it, this protective shield around it, and says, that will not be harmed. That perfection will not be touched. And certainly as we think in our own lives and we think of the evil that we still do, and we wonder, how does that fit into this idea of this new self, who I am? You see, that soul's been cleaned. And it's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But we still keep dunking it in mud sometimes, don't we? We just need to throw in dirt on it. When it's all said and done, right? When life is over and we find ourselves before God, our creator, to be able to say, oh, let me just wipe away this muck a little bit. Let me wipe away that dirt. Oh, your soul's still perfect. Because the Holy Spirit wrapped it in a protective covering. Finally, we want to see a third aspect of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is our equipper. We're going to be returning back to our passage in Luke. This is going to be the story of Jesus' baptism. So Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and Jesus himself is baptized. And one of the things that we see in this passage is the convergence of the three persons of God. And so we see certainly God the Son, Jesus being baptized. And then we have God the Spirit, which is this idea of this descending thing. It says it descended like a dove upon Jesus. So we find God the Spirit. And then we find God the Father who speaks from heaven. And so this is one of these clear biblical examples where we see the weeness of God matched with the oneness of God. The one that we see is Jesus Christ, but the weeness of God we see in the story as well. Uh, we are going to read um, this section together. It's just going to be two verses. So let's take a moment, um, and we will read these two verses together. Let's begin. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying, 
heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so as I mentioned, we do see the three persons of God, Jesus being baptized, Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice of God the Father from heaven. And one of the very intriguing questions in this passage is, why is Jesus getting baptized? Certainly, John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. The idea of you're doing the wrong and you're going to do what God wants. Jesus, sinless, doesn't need to repent. So why is Jesus being baptized? This vexing question, there's no absolute certainty as we look through the scriptures to explain that to us. But certainly one of the things that we see out of this is that Jesus sets an example for us. This example of being baptized. Jesus does that himself, which speaks to why the importance of baptism in our own story of our Christian faith. And so that is an important step for you in your own salvation story. And depending on you may have come out of a different tradition, which baptizes at a different point, wherever your baptism might be, we see it as a step that was first modeled for us in Jesus Christ. One of the things that we also see out of this is that the Holy Spirit physically comes upon Jesus. That is what is described here is the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove. So the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, and something about Jesus changes. And certainly we're going to see from this point is that Jesus, who at this point has lived about 30 years on earth, will move from his life of just being Jesus, son of Joseph, to being Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus will begin his earthly ministry. This is the beginning of his time, of his teaching people about who God is, of his miraculous works, and showing the power of God. This begins with the baptism of Jesus. And one of the things that we know from other passages of scriptures like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, but we also seen being intimated here is that the Holy Spirit equips people to ministry. Just as it seems the Holy Spirit has equipped Jesus to his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit absolutely equips us to our ministry. And in other parts of the scripture, it speaks of different gifts of the Spirit that each person might have. And these different gifts go about building up the church. And that is why even in our own church, right, you see people who do some things well. We see people who decorate well. We have people who oversee our finances, and they do those well. We have people who help us get our Zoom going. They do that well. We have music being played. We have people singing out. We have our things on the screen, like in the order they're supposed to be, looking nice. We have so many of these gifts and abilities that come into our church and serving and ministering here. And you say, what makes us different? What, is, what about us? It's the Holy Spirit that works through us. That gives us the ability to serve and minister to God's people. The Holy Spirit is an equipper 
that sends us out into this world to serve God. And as we think of people being specially blessed by the Spirit towards the work that they can do, we should always be content with how the Spirit has equipped us and never resentful towards how the Spirit has equipped others. And I think, for me, you know what that looks like, where I have to remind myself, is that there's some people, man, they can walk into any place, and they tell people about Jesus, and everyone's interested. And, you know, they walk into the store, and they just tell some stranger, and the stranger's listening to them. The stranger's like, oh, thanks for telling me about Jesus. Like, wow. We look at that, we see it as the gift of evangelism. I don't have that ability. Some people do. God's got everyone he needs who has the gift of evangelism. They got you. We have people who stand up here and they sing beautifully and they hear the music and they know what they're doing. I don't have that. So always be happy with how God has equipped you. And notice how God has equipped others. That is the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The equipping us of who we are. So who is the Holy Spirit? How do we understand the Holy Spirit? I had that illustration earlier of that three-man basketball team. That's functionally sometimes how we, how we think of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to give you another illustration to think of who the Holy Spirit is. And I want us to think for a moment of God as a Broadway musical. Just think for a moment. Think of a Broadway musical. Think all that you see is part of that. What, what goes into that? So if, if, with this illustration, if God is a Broadway musical, I would see the Father, God the Father, as the writer, the director, and the producer. That's an important role, right, in making this thing happen. The writer, director, and the producer. That's God the Father. And then God the Son? God the Son's going to be the actors and the actresses who make that possible on stage. And as you, as you think of the, the Broadway musical... You're thinking, okay, we got the director, um, we, we've written the script, we've, we've got the producer, we've got all the actors. We, that's like everyone, right? I want you to think of God the Spirit as everything else. Now pause for a moment and think, what all goes into a Broadway musical? Think of all the advertising that goes into that. Think of all the promotion that goes into that. Think of the website that's set up so that they can sell tickets. Think of those signs that you see hanging out places so that you know the musical is actually going on. You don't even know. You wouldn't even know about this musical if someone didn't promote it. That's kind of like God the Spirit. Think about all the supplies that are needed to make that musical happen. Everything from costumes being perfectly fitted, to makeup being perfectly applied, to lights shining just as they need to shine, to a place to meet being properly cleaned and prepared, to seats being constructed, to a venue being secured, to someone just selling tickets. Think of all that goes in, all the things you tend not to notice if you go to a Broadway musical. But all the things that if they weren't there, you wouldn't have a show, would you? You know, and you wouldn't have a show if you didn't have any actors and actresses, would you? And, and you wouldn't have a show if there weren't a, a, a script. 
So as we come and we think, who is the Holy Spirit? We see the Holy Spirit as this aspect, this person of God that pulls the whole notion of God together. The one that connects every little piece. The Holy Spirit's that voice of God inside of you tells you the right thing to do. That Holy Spirit's that voice that first said to you, you need to change something about your life. The Holy Spirit is when you pray and you feel God's presence. You can't quite put a word to it, but you say, I know God's with me in this moment. The Holy Spirit. As we think for ourselves, what can we do? What can we do to experience the Holy Spirit in our own lives? If I was to tell you, one of the easiest things that we can do, it's hard to do, but it's easy to explain, is simply to add spiritual disciplines into our own daily lives. And in these practices that we put as part of our life, that remind us of God's presence, we avail the Spirit to speak to us. Spiritual disciplines are anything that you might do that help you remind you of your faith or help you grow in your faith. One of the spiritual disciplines is something you're doing right now, which is coming to church, whether that was on a Zoom format where you logged in and you got there in front of that screen in time, or whether you're here in person, you came. It's a spiritual discipline. You know, as I'm looking out between the people here and the people on Zoom, I I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. There were some people in this room that woke up and said, I don't feel like doing it today, but I'm going to go ahead and get it. Right? That's a spiritual discipline. We trust that the Spirit works through that. And there are other things that you can do. Maybe you pray before a meal. Maybe there's different things that you do in the morning or evening to remind you of your faith. Each of these things is a discipline that you do before God. That helps the Holy Spirit work. I noticed in our church we have our upper rooms, which are daily reading. And so I actually took this out from our foyer. We've got some in both foyers. You're welcome to take these. A daily reading for you. It's a spiritual discipline. There's an app that I'm going to uh, share with you. I'm going to send out a a video tomorrow. Um, An app that you might be able to install on your device. And it'll walk you through. This aspect of a devotion each day, a chance to hear from God. It's a chance to pause and reflect and hear from God. And when you do those things, it's not because you think, hey, I'm going to do it today and I'm going to have some sort of magical, impressive moment, you know, and I'm going to see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. It's probably not going to be your experience. But we trust, like any discipline, that by doing it consistently and regularly, doing it when we don't feel like it, doing it when we don't want to, doing it when we have more pressing matters, that we trust our consistency in seeking God will avail the Holy Spirit, become more a part of our lives. So wherever you're at in your own faith journey, you can always add a spiritual discipline. You can always add some greater commitment to God that is a part of your life. And those things, as I mentioned, they come in so many different forms. 
from simply being here to reading a baby a little bit of the Bible, to doing a devotion, to reading a passage from the upper room. We even can think of aspects of like our finances as another spiritual discipline. Regular prayer, participating in a Bible study. Each of these things helps the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And my encouragement for each of us is that we make space for that to happen. We have three persons of God. And we've often left one out a little bit more than we should have. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Let's have all three persons of God working in our life. Let's take a moment and quietly reflect together.